Hello and welcome to the weekend Booktopian. I'm Olivia Frico, senior content producer and editor of the Booktopian blog, and I'll be stepping in to host today's episode. We'll be talking about the books we're reading right now, the latest in book news, and then we'll be getting into another round of book fight. You all know the drill by now. Uh, joining me today is campaigns coordinator Ashley Berry. Hi, Ash. Hey. Um, our content and brand manager Mark Harding. Hi, Liv. And our nonfiction category manager Joel Naum. Hi, Liv. Hi. Welcome, everyone. Let's get into it, shall we? Uh, so welcome to our guests and, of course, to our lovely listeners. Let's kick off by talking about some big news items that have been hitting the world of books this week. So first up, the Booker Prize has announced that it is moving the date of the winner announcement from the 17th of October to the 19th. Uh, did I say October? November. 17th of November to the 19th. Um, and they're doing that to avoid clashing with the release of the former US President Barack Obama's memoir, A Promised Land and also to give readers some breathing space. Naturally, people are a little bit bemused, and some are saying that this is uh, further proof of the Booker Prize falling in greatest way to the US market. Am I alone in thinking that this is a really silly reason to move the winner's announcement? Joel, you're our nonfiction specialist, and the promised land falls in your kingdom. Uh, do you think it's likely that this book is big enough to eclipse the announcement of the Booker? I'm not sure. It's, it's a very strange problem. I can see I can see the issue. I can see why they would have done it because they're worried that the book will overshadow the announcement. And I think there's probably a crossover in audience because this is a this isn't just a US book, obviously, it's a global book. Um, and it will be selling in huge numbers in Australia and the UK as well. So I, I can see why they are worried about it. And I can also see that the publishers weren't ever going to change it. So they had to make a decision. And I guess they went with trying to maximise publicity for the award, which I think they are still in the position where they're growing the audience for the booker and interest in the booker in the US. So I think they probably wouldn't err on the side of capturing the book-related news for that day rather than it being overshadowed by Obama. I mean, I think it's got more to do with publicity, um, the, the reliance on publicity for awards like this than it does to do with... Um, anything else I think. Uh, okay that's interesting I wouldn't have thought about it I guess from that specific point of view and I guess we should also consider that that's less than two weeks since the US election which is going to be a very contentious <laughs> event this year. Um, if anyone watched the debate or read about it yesterday we'd probably know that. Um, <laughs> but do Mark and Ashley do you have any other thoughts on this? They could um, they could really capitalise on the publicity and just award it to a promised land. Major, major upset. <laughs> First time ever that it's been awarded to a book that wasn't, uh, that wasn't even shortlisted. <laughs> hey, they threw the rules out last year. Yeah, it isn't fiction. <laughs> my, my, initial, my, my initial thought when I saw the, the announcement on Twitter this morning without kind of reflecting on it very deeply was like they double booked the venue or something and they were just like using the Obama book as cover for like, oh, crap, we need to, we need to fix something. I, I think it's, also, it's partially about, it's a bit of a sad news story in some ways because it's like accepting the fact that the public's interest in books only goes so far. And if the mm. book news is Obama's book, they're not going to look at any other book news that day. Mm. Uh, that may not be true, but the booker is a chance to cut through to a bigger audience. So I guess they want to maximise exposure for whoever wins, which 
I mean, on one level, it is admirable to do that, but it does mm. feel like it feels gross that a book that the Booker is being bumped. Yeah, as someone's mm. memoir, even if that someone is the president of the United States. And I think it's probably also another sad reflection on the fact that just book pages in newspapers and things like that have been really reduced uh, yeah. in the last decade or so. So the actual space to have two competing book stories is is actually limited. Yeah, yeah true. Um, well, I guess let's move on. I could talk about this all day, but probably shouldn't. Um, so in sad news, the family of the prolific children's author Sam McBratney uh, who wrote the classic picture book, Guess How Much I Love You. Uh, his family announced last week that he had passed away at the age of 77. Um, McBratney was weeks away from releasing a sequel to Guess How Much I Love You, uh, 24 years since the first book. And that book would, would, was, is going to be called Will You Be My Friend? Um, but he's published over 50 books in his lifetime. He's had an incredible career. Um, was Guess How Much I Love You a big part of any of your childhoods or do you read it to your kids? I read it to my kids, um, and it's such an adorable book. And there's a there's a TV series on ABC Kids as well, based on it. That's really adorable as well, and it's just so sweet and innocent and lovely. Um, and it's one of the, it's one of those kids books that like just has the potential to like bring that lump to your throat because Aww. it's about that fundamental, you know, how much you love your kids kind, kind of it really taps into that. So it's it's such a beautiful thing for him to have contributed to the world. Mm. The um, version of the book we have has a, a puppet that you push through it, um, that you can cuddle your kid with it. Oh. <laughs> it's a little puppet. Oh, my God. It's adorable. It's really adorable. That's, it wasn't part of my childhood, though. I'm not sure if that's because it just didn't travel to Australia when I was a kid or I mean, it was written then. Yeah, I was. I was. Yeah, I was gonna say, is it too, too young for either of you? <laughs> I don't think so. But maybe well, I, that. Well, I was surprised yeah. when, like, reading the news last week when I found out when it was published because I just assumed it was a more recent book because I I don't recall it from my childhood. Yeah, I never really read it either. Yeah, I only um I only first heard about it probably mid teens, mid late teens, and that's because I had younger cousins who then got onto that book. So yeah, to hearing it was 24 years old is quite surprising. Yeah. Okay, so I am too old for it. <laughs> Fine. I do oh, think there's a there's an overall movement in um, children's publishing towards more global children's books. Like uh, when I was a kid, some of the classic American children's books weren't books that we ever read, but they are books that I read to my kids. Um, so it, it feels like the internet has sort of democratized children's books in a way, especially classics. So mm. there are certain American children's books that, yeah, I, I was just never exposed to and then heard about it as an adult and got for my kids. I wonder if there's an element of that going on. Yeah, that's a great point. I have, I have the exact same experience. Mm. Well, let's move on. Um, it's time for the What Are We Reading segment of the Weekend Booktopia. Uh, so, Ashley, what are you reading mm. and what have you been reading? Um, that's a big question, really. Uh, the last few weeks have been uh, super busy for me. Um, Liv has been running me wild with reading books for the blog. Uh, so, yeah, this month I started with To Sleep in a Sea of Stars. That clocked in at a tight 800 pages. Um, I've also read a few of the Booker shortlists this month. 
Um, but probably my key book, which I just finished the other day, is The Devil and the Dark Water by Stuart Turton. Um, now, I was super excited to read this book. For me, this is one of those, you know, top key end of the year, it's coming out this year books. Um, and that's largely because I am a super big fan of his debut, The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. Uh, I found that to be so clever, so complex. Uh, I was recommending it to everyone who would listen, um, even if they didn't really like a mystery book. It's kind of described as a Groundhog Day meets Agatha Christie with a bit of body swapping going on. And definitely one of those books that you know gave him a headache to work out the plot um, and weave it together. <laughs> so The Devil in the Dark Water obviously had a very high pedestal to reach in my books. And I am so glad to say that it did. Uh, it's I. It's equally as complex and imaginative, even though very different, even to what I would normally read. I'm not normally a historical fiction person, but this was set in 1634. It was on a ship heading to Amsterdam. Uh, so on board, we have sailors, musketeers, nobles, passengers, and notably the world's greatest detective, Samuel Pipps, along with his friend and bodyguard, Aaron Hayes. So the story is essentially... Pips is in prison on the ship, so Aaron is left to solve the mystery. That's the kind of Holmes and Watson duo uh, we're experiencing. And on board is just a series of supernatural occurrences, you know, strange occult-like symbols start appearing, uh, mystical lights in the water at night uh, come on. So it's very uh, eerie, I would say, is a good way to describe this book. And I know that Turton's aim for this one was to create quite a sweeping epic journey with a little bit of dread and a little bit of heroism. And I will say to that that it's mission achieved. Like there was intricate world building that really cemented it as quite almost a historical fiction, even though it's mystery. Um, mm -hmm. The relationships are really nuanced. Uh, and one thing I find that Turton does well in both his books is he has a really big cast of characters he works with, um, but each of them are unique. You know, they're vibrant characters. They're all memorable. You understand the motivations of each, which becomes then really fun when you're trying to work out who actually is the culprit. Because another aspect that I love about this book and his other one is that it's set in a confined space. So on board this ship, you only have those aboard the ship that could potentially be the culprit. So it's kind of that hiding in plain sight mystery that just becomes really fun to try and work out. Um, and also fun fact about this book, which I was reading in the front cover, is that Turton, who I believe is uh, from London, actually was inspired by a shipwreck off the coast of Western Australia when he was stuck in Perth when he missed his connecting flight. So he went to the Maritime Museum, uh, read about a shipwreck, that inspired his next story, which is this, and he just added a whole lot of mystery, a whole lot of superstition and a cult. He added shipwreck, obviously, the Sherlock Holmes and Watson duo, and just created this epic journey from it. And uh, honestly, I actually felt like I was at sea when I was reading this. You know, you go, we go through a really big storm and he just, I don't know, somehow described it so well that when I stopped reading, I was like, oh, I'm on land. It's all good. Um, <laughs> And you know what, as I might, I could not work out the mystery till the very end. <laughs> just like Seven Deaths, I was uh, 
bamboozled. Okay, that actually sounds really cool. I mean, that sounds um, awesome. I really want to. I love it. Oh I God. recommend Seven Deaths as well, but this one was still really good. Oh, that's one of the seven books. There's like there's that book, Seven Deaths of Evelyn Harcastle, and then, and then there's Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I know. <laughs> Have to catch <laughs> myself every time. I've only read um, Evelyn Hugo. I really liked that. You got to do both Seven Evelyns. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Ash. Uh, Mark, what have you been reading? Um, so last week on this podcast, um, our Kids and YA category manager, Sarah McJulling, was on. She was saying that uh, that she's been in, like, a reading slump lately and she's just been watching TV, and I may have, like, made fun of her for that. I know it's unlike me to make fun of, of the podcast, of guests on the podcast when I'm hosting. Um, but anyway, I forgot that I was on this week, and now I have to admit to doing the same thing. I'm actually in a reading slump at the moment. I'm trying to pull myself out of it, though. So I've got these three books that I want to that I want to briefly touch on, which I haven't started reading, but they're the next the next ones that I get to uh, when I finish um, watching uh, Shit's Creek. So uh, <laughs> I love Shit's Creek. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is the book podcast, really, because we could just talk about Shit's Creek for the rest of the time. <laughs> I'll uh, find a way to shove Shit's Creek into any blog post. <laughs> um, so the first book that um, that I'm, I'm going to mention is one that um, got sent to me this week uh, from um, Penguin, um, and it is Dune, the Duke of Caladan. Uh, so I'm continuing to beat the Dune drum all year, um, as I have been, because um, I'm really excited about the movie that's coming out. But there's like a, a resurgence in in interest in this series. Um, you know, the the sales for for the first book have absolutely skyrocketed um, over the past couple of months. And so, for those of you who who are aware of like what's happened in the Dune kind of literary universe, his uh, Frank Herbert's son Brian Herbert and the science fiction author Kevin J. Anderson have banded together and they've written a whole bunch of novels uh, set in that universe: prequels, sequels, character explorations. And so, this is the first in a new series, um, and it is about um, Duke Leto Atreides, who is Paul Atreides' father. Uh, in the original Dune. So he is, um, uh, I won't tell you what happens to him in the first Dune book, because that's, that's a bit of a spoiler. But this is kind of- I think it's in the blurb. I think it's in the blurb. Is it? It's okay. fine. Well, anyway. Um, so this is this is the background as to who he is, how he gets to be in the position that he's in, where he's, um, uh, the planet that he rules, Caladan, is taken away from him, and he's given the um, the planet Arrakis, where uh, he's then set up for the betrayal, which sparks kind of the the beginning of, of of the novel Dune. And so this is kind of the the backstory of of this particular character. He's an interesting character in the Dune universe. Um, there have been books written before um, about Paul and kind of the, the major players, um, but Leto is kind of a mysterious character who adds a lot of kind of color to the first section of Dune, and then. You know, you know, hear much from him after that, but um, yeah, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to reading this, and 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 it's a nice thin one as well, which is good for somebody in a reading slump. Um, so the chunky as hell. Sorry, June is chunky as hell, isn't it? Yeah, June's pretty chunky. Yeah, it's long. Yeah, I was planning to read it before the Great book come, comes out, but I was like, yeah, it's um it's sitting in one of my piles back here to read. <laughs> it's a great book. So Duke Leto is played. By Oscar Isaac in the in the new movie, right? So mm. you can just picture Oscar, Oscar Isaac, Isaac while you read it, and it'll be much more fun. Yeah, yeah. I'll do it for Oscar Isaac. 
And I know. Oh, yeah, I'm not in that movie for Timothee Chalamet or whatever his name is. I'm in it for Oscar Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that this is just just a podcast, but for those of you who are listening, we are actually looking at each other um, on a video call, and you can see on the cover art there they've kind of sketched the character so he looks a little bit Oscar Isaacy without actually mm. being Oscar Isaac which uh, I think is cool. Um, cool. The second book that, um, uh, this this one arrived this week as well. I just ordered it from Booktopia to booktopia.com.au for all of your um, book needs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of the podcast. <laughs> uh, so this book, um, uh, I'm, I'm an avid follower of the horror literature subreddit. And this is a book that's been kind of on coming out kind of all year. And I think the release that got delayed because of COVID, but um, it is now out and I got a copy. It's called The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. Um, and it's uh, kind of uh, American rural horror, which is something that, that I really um, dig. And so uh, the, the concept behind it is it's about these, these four friends. Um, they've gone out into the wilderness. They've shot a deer um, in their youth. Now they're being hunted a decade later by something, um, and that's all I know about it. So I'm going in like really without without much uh, knowledge of it. But um, apparently, it's a very good exploration of like friendship and um, society and race and heritage. Um, and I'm really looking forward to to getting into that. And again, nice thin one. <laughs> Um, and then the last one I'm going to talk about is one that um, came out, I think, at the end of last year, and I didn't get a chance to to get it at the time. But now um, that I'm, you know, finishing Shit's Creek and getting back into reading, I'm going to read this. It's an 800-page book. It's called Wanderers by Chuck Wendig, um, and it's it's about a, a plague. So it's um, kind of timely, uh, <laughs> 2020. But it's a plague where um, uh, it's a sleepwalking plague. So people wake up, well, they don't wake up, um, obviously, they, they get up and they start sleepwalking uh, en masse in a certain direction and nobody knows where they're heading and nobody can wake them up. And it's about how society is transformed by this, by this event. Um, and it's about kind of societal collapse, but it's also about um, people who want to kind of uh, shepherd uh, the sleepwalkers, people, the mystery of like the journey of where they're going, um, all kinds of interesting stuff. So I think this is going to be a really interesting read for, for the back half of, of, of 2020. Um, yeah, so those are the books that, that I'm about to read when I finish Shit's Creek. <laughs> <laughs> Always risky to talk about the books you're about to read because then when you've read them, you can't talk about them. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, Mark. And last but not least, Joel, what have you been reading? So I've been very busy um, to most of the reading I've done has been for work, um, but not at all unpleasant reading because... Um, I, I get to interview very interesting authors uh, and the books that they've written that I that I read for work have ended up being really, really fun to read. Um, so the first one I'll talk about is um, Moonlight by Gary Linnell, um, fulfilling my brief as nonfiction category manager. Both of these books are nonfiction. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Moonlight is the second book that Gary's written, history. Um, he writes in a really accessible fictiony style so it's not like heavy history reading so it's very very accessible um so that's the first thing to note the second is this book is so much fun and so it's it's much i it was much more like the kind of book i would pick up than his first book his first book was about um william buckley who's um buckley's chance the expression buckley's chance is named after him <clears throat> um 
which is a very interesting story. But this one is about Captain Moonlight. It's called Moonlight, the Bush Ranger, which uh, hilariously I got to discover upon reading it that my my partner, who's British, thought that Bush Rangers were people who looked after national parks. So that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but um, other than that Moon, Captain Moonlight is such an interesting bushranger because he um, he's got this he he was he basically was functioning at or functioning committing his crime sprees at the same time as Ned Kelly or roughly the same time and he was killed about 10 months before him hanged um, and he was different to most of the bushrangers because he wasn't poor. He didn't come from a poor family, came from a pretty middle-class family and was well-educated and quite theatrical and would give speeches and could and memorise Shakespearean soliloquies and poetry and stuff and would often, like, wax lyrical during his um, sieges and, and, you know, bank robberies and stuff. Um, he was also gay, which uh, is not something that's well known about him or any other bushrangers, <clears throat> but he fell in love with a bloke when he was in prison with him. And the two of them then formed the gang that he went off and became most famous for being in. And um, it well, it hasn't been really well explored until fairly recently. Um, a lot of his letters that he was he wrote, he wrote prolifically when he was in prison awaiting to be hanged. And those letters were just never delivered to the people that they were supposed to go to, including um, his lover's uh, mother, who he basically confessed his, lo his love to her son in this letter. Um, and it's just, it's just really eye-opening. Moonlight himself um, is not a very likeable person, but the book is really compelling. Like he's, he's made out to be quite a fascinating character. And Gary Linnell uses, uses the story of the bushrangers and stuff to, as a jumping off point to sort of talk about that, that era in history when everything is changing, like modernising really quickly, industrial revolution, um, there are roads. And it's that's why the bushrangers are coming to an end, basically, because they can't hide anymore. There's two, there's the the, the um, rural spaces where they used used to be sort of supreme in with horse, horses and stuff. It doesn't work. There's a proper telegraph system. It, and it's like the decline of a particular era in history. It's just really fascinating. And it tells the story throughout of the person who hanged Captain Moonlight, who um, is this fascinating guy who's like weaved throughout history in New South Wales and Australia for that period. Um, and he he was this like quite a tragic figure. But he, he was called Nosy Bob because he got... He, he got kicked in the face by a horse and lost his entire fat nose. Oh. So, of course, Australians called him Nosy Bob. Um, and he, his story of the, and the fascinating detail behind hanging someone, I know that sounds really gross, but it was really, really fascinating. Anyway, I highly recommend the book. It's really fun. Um, and I, I interviewed Gary for a podcast, so you can go and look that up. And we have signed copies at the moment too, so brilliant on every level. Um, the other book that I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll be briefer about because I know I'm going on <clears throat> is um, a book by, it's a memoir by Jacinta Parsons, who is a radio presenter down in Melbourne. And she's um, she's written this book, Unseen, and it's about chronic illness, <clears throat> which is, um, you know, I think she says in the book, one in five people have uh, chronic illness in Australia, which is a huge number of people. So, I, you know, I was going to say, if you or someone you know has a chronic illness, you should read this book. But I think that would probably end up being everybody in Australia, which, you know, it's a grandiose thing to recommend. <laughs> but it is a really interesting book. She's got Crohn's disease, which is a sort of um, 
uh, gastrointestinal inflammation illness. But it's it's horrific in a lot of ways and very different for different people. Um, but the book is about more, um, much more than that, you know, and about how um, invisible illness in particular, when you can't tell that someone's sick and they are, how that, the effect that that has on people and how poorly we take care of people with chronic illnesses. I, I have a few people in my life with chronic illnesses, so it was very um, sort of reassuring or something to hear someone else's story and how closely it mirrors what happens. You know, it just seems to be this pattern of people not, not getting recognised, particularly women, not getting recognised by the medical establishment as actually having an illness and taking, in, I think it's an average of years before they get a proper diagnosis. Uh, in, a, in a lot of these types of invisible chronic illnesses. And, um, you know, just just the sheer, you know, strength and fortitude it takes to get through something like this and live through it and have, you know, an extremely successful career. And um, and the book is a huge accomplishment. So uh, if you if you are interested in what I'm talking about, I, I guarantee you will, re- you will enjoy the book because it's just beautifully written, really, really interesting um, and sort of enraging as well. <laughs> which you know there's no there's no um lack of rage at the moment in the <laughs> when you're talking about the real really world <laughs> mm, yeah sounds great that's good. Um, um, but that's that's, that's that's all and and the next book i read will probably also be a podcast book <laughs> but uh that will be the case until probably until the end of the year when we stop doing quite so many podcasts i suspect yeah i always say that I'm like i can't wait for january and then i can just read whatever the hell i want and then i always end up just reading whatever it gets sent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thank you, guys. Those are some really good book, um, really good books you've been reading. Um, and thank you for talking so wonderfully about them. Joel, you said you were rambling on, but I think, I don't know, it's really nice to listen to people, like, actually be able to talk about why they love a book and what's so good about it. It's kind of a rare skill, so thank you, guys. Um, but, of course, it is now time for Book Fight. Uh my, depending on my mood, my either my least favourite or most anticipated part of the weekend booktopian, depending on if I'm hosting or participating. <laughs> Which do you prefer? <laughs> uh, definitely participating, because then, I don't know, I've discovered I'm a better, what's the, quizzy than quizzer. Is that a word? <laughs> quizzy is a word. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. All right, everyone pick your buzzer words, please. Um, okay, I'll I'll say um, June. Hmm. I just I just go Ash. I don't have <laughs> more capability than that. I'm just gonna say Buzz because you know saying chronic illness takes too long. <laughs> I was gonna say you could say Moon. Devil in the dark water. <laughs> Mark got June. Sorry. All right. Okay. So, time for a book fight. Question one. What is the subtitle of Mary Shelley's novel Frankenstein? Oh, uh, uh, Dune. Yep. Uh, Modern Prometheus. Yes. Oh, well done, Mark. <laughs> uh, question two. I, uh, I have a feeling that Mark's going to get a lot of these, my bad. <laughs> uh, question two. The new Netflix series, The Haunting of Bly Matter, is loosely based on which book? Dune. Uh, the turn yes, of the screw, the turn of the screw by Henry James. Right again. <laughs> it's like Mark just writes the questions and gives them to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
No, he doesn't. But this is a this is a great improvement on last time when no one was answering the questions because they were too hard. Oh yeah, fair so, enough. <laughs> Question three. Which science fiction and fantasy writer has won the Hugo Award for Best Science Fiction Novel three years running? Bonus points if you can name each novel. Yep. Oh, N.K. Jemison? Yep. Uh, and it's for the, what are they called? The Stone <laughs> uh, Obelisk Gate. That's the third one, right? Stone yep. Sky. Yep. And the fifth season. Yes. Well done. Is that all three? Did I get them right? Yep. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> yeah. one point for the author and then three for the novel. Sorry. Oh. Well, <laughs> uh, that was well worth answering. Well, I think I think Mark stayed a bit quiet for that one because he. <laughs> Just be careful because, like, if if you get an answer wrong and Liv gets upset because you should have known it, she'll take points off. That's what she. <laughs> That's one time. That's how I won last time. <laughs> I was like really far behind, and then Nick upset you. And <laughs> <laughs> well, the quiz, the quiz master gets to decide. Yeah. <laughs> quiz master has too much power. All right. Uh, question four. Which of these plays by William Shakespeare is not considered a comedy? A, Two Gentlemen of Verona. B, The Merchant of Venice. C, Cymbeline. Or D, Winter's Tale. Buzz. Yes. Merchant of Venice. No. Oh. I got this question off the internet, so I haven't actually fact-checked it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need to hear the options again? I'm yeah, yeah, go, go through them again. Right. Two Gentlemen of Verona, The Merchant of Venice, Cymbeline, and Winter's Tale. Winter's Tale. Wrong. A and C. <laughs> a and C. <laughs> um, okay, it's a 50-50. Yeah. I actually am going to go A. You're all wrong. Cymbeline is not <laughs> I don't even know Cymbeline. I've never heard of that one. Are you sure no. the legitimate website you were on there? Like? Okay, it was from like a penguin. Like, it was from penguins. And I'm, also, sure it is. I'm sure it's a real book. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it, it is. Yep. It actually features prominently in one of Ali Smith's novels, um, the one of the seasonal quartets. I think it is spring, but I could be wrong. The Shakespeare stands out there are gonna be like, they've never heard of Cymbeline. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna be like sniffing into their cognac snifters or something. I don't know what <laughs> the Shakespeare stands drink. <laughs> Mead. Surely. <laughs> yeah. How good is the word snifter? I love it. Yeah. If anyone owns some, just so I can say I have a snifter. Anyway. <laughs> Question five. What weird thing did Aldous Huxley and C.S. Lewis have in common? Hint, it's biographical. Oh, I think I know this. Hmm. I don't know. And we should say something soon, though, so that the podcast isn't just silence. <laughs> <laughs> Buzz. Yes. Did they live in the same house or something? No. <sighs> Did they both have the same illness? No. Mm. 
Um, were they both left-handed? Were they both left-handed? I mean, I don't think that's really that weird, but no, you're not. You're not. <laughs> they might have been. <laughs> I'm not weird, sure if they um, I, I can't say it with any authority. But I'll tell you that Aldous Huxley and C.S. Lewis both died on the same day, November 22nd, 1963, which incidentally is also the day of JFK's assassination. Which what website are you getting this from? The internet. I also just that is definitely the day that JFK died. Yeah. I know because Stephen King wrote a book about it. <laughs> hey, wherever you get your general fiction, general knowledge, that's, that's fine. <laughs> Okay, so we are down to our last two questions. Um, but the last question has the potential for someone who is in last position, a.k.a. Ashley, to really step it up <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> get a lot more points. So um, the score at the moment is Ashley's on zero. Sorry, yeah. Ooh, pardon me. Um, Mark is on two points and Joel is on four. So let's get into the last two questions, shall we? Question six. What is the name of the new V.E. Schwab fantasy novel that comes out today? Oh, man. Oh, I, I, Buzz. Yep. In the Invisible Life, is that, is that it? The Invisible Life of someone, of, Someone the Rue or something like that. <laughs> you are so close. Uh, <laughs> Addie LaRue? Yes. Well done. Joel, you are <laughs> And now I feel bad because this que last question is a non-fiction question. <laughs> <laughs> that does not mean I'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might. Um, okay, so question seven. The one point per book. List as many books about the Trump presidency as you can. Yeah, yeah Mark? Fear. Yeah. By Bob Woodward. Rage. Yeah. Uh, by Bob Woodward. Um, uh, what was that? What was that one? Um, uh, Unhinged by, by Amorosa. Amorosa. Um, uh, too Much and Never Enough. Uh, Fire and Fury. Damn. Um, there's, a, there's quite a lot of them. So many. <laughs> I can literally get 100 points easily. You could easily. Under Siege, was that the one that was the, the sequel to Fire and Fury? I think so. No. I'm going to look it up. No. That's a, that's a um, movie by Stephen <laughs> 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 But there was a movie. I can't Siege. Because you didn't get the name. Siege. Not Under Siege. Siege. Okay. Um, um, I don't know why I'm giving that to you. I feel like I should get that point. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give that point to you. This the room where it happens by opinion. John Bolton? Yeah. Uh, what else? Um, about the Only about the Trump presidency. There's uh, Melania and me. <laughs> um, a yeah, warning. does anything to do with Trump? What was that? A warning by Anonymous. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, yeah. I that one. What a coward. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, hmm. I mean, there's heaps. I think we could we could probably go. <laughs> Are there any big ones yeah, that you uh, wrote down that you were? 
Yeah, we're waiting for. Can you remember any? Yeah, but they've been said, so. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really disappointed that none of you mentioned Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Like, oh, yeah. For myself, you know, that's going to be filled with so much truth. I book. did think of that book, but I couldn't remember the name of it because who, who could possibly be bothered <laughs> thinking about that book? <laughs> I just love on the cover. She just looks I so did watch. Yeah, she does, doesn't she? I did look at, um, I watched the interview with her and Lee Sales, which was excruciating. Lee <laughs> Sales just totally uh, eviscerated her. It was very embarrassing. It's a good year um, for Aussie journalists interviewing American politicians and political figures. Yeah. All right. Let me just talk amongst yourselves while I count. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Mark one again. On eight points each. Oh, oh. I don't have a backup question. Okay, so usually what I do for this as, as a tiebreaker question, if it comes to that, is the question that I ask is what is the, you, you go to the Booktopia website, and what mm -hmm. is the number one book on the top 10 on the front page? Ooh. And That's, okay. And it's The Survivors by Jane Harper. <laughs> okay, so for that, oh, what is the number two book? It's Survivors. The Survivors. Well, Rings, guys. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to have to give that to you, Joel. <laughs> Rigged. <laughs> finally, finally, the last two times I played this game, Mark's beat me. And uh, one of them in particular, he definitely stole an answer from me. <laughs> that absolutely sounds like behaviour. So I, uh, I feel very good now. That was rigged. <laughs> but congratulations to Joel, our winner with nine points. Ash, you're going to have to let me know what's a good literary trivia. You know what? Um, two things. I am quite consistent in these, which is a pro, I think. Um, and as well, I have a shocking memory. So um, I could probably give you my favourite book and you can ask me who's the main character and I would have buzzed it. <laughs> We should, we should do opinion-based questions where it's like, what's your favourite book? And then you're like, what are the rings? And then you could be like, yeah. I'm wrong. I've got um... Incorrect. <laughs> I get those ones wrong, can you? Um, <laughs> no, I'll, submit, I'll submit options next time. It's fine. I think it's a shame that no one's been keeping like a running tally of who's been winning. Actually, Nick might be. Nick might be, yeah. I'll have to get him to go through and listen to all of the book fights from like the last six months and <laughs> <laughs> come out and the ultimate champion. Yeah, and, and, and listen closely to see who cheats the most. <laughs> Spoiler alert, yeah, it's me. <laughs> Just so someone can answer the question. <laughs> anyway, um, that's it for this week's episode of The Weekend Booktopia. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Ashley, Mark, and Joel. Thank you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks. So for everyone listening at home, if any of the books featured in this episode take your fancy, you can find them online at booktopia.com.au. Stay safe, have a great weekend, and never stop reading. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget... You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, 
for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.